chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This is the word of God. Am I on? I'm on, right? Yes, great. We are in, um, we're doing a very good time here. <laughs> um, we are in part two of a series called um, Bread from Heaven. Uh, and sharing bread from heaven. And it's really about evangelism. That's what we're going to be talking about for at least, what, nine more weeks. Well, the concluding this week. Um, part two out of a ten-part series on evangelism. And last week... I gave you a message called sharing good news because evangelism isn't trying to do some kind of religious activity to somebody. More than anything, it is really just sharing something really great that you have. And, um, and which is, you know, that's what we were trying to get at last week. And I preached last week out of Romans chapter 1, which says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Do you remember that? It is the power of God. It's, it's strange because it's a word, and yet there's power in it. And I was trying to, last week, get you off thinking that it's really on me. <laughs> it's on me to get this person to believe in Jesus. And like, if I've got to do everything right to get my friend, my neighbor, my cousin, my coworker, whoever it is, that you may be thinking about sharing the gospel with, sharing them about Christ. Um, and that's the kind of the attitude we tend to have. It's like, you know, like evangelism. It's, it's on me. <laughs> it's on me. And these first couple sermons, I'm really very much just trying to dispel that idea. There is a part for us to do for sure, which is why, why, why we're having this message at all. And the, and the scripture is very clear that we ought to go and share about this wonderful good news that God has come to redeem us by grace. Now, today... Um, uh, it's a kind of continuation. In, in some ways, I feel like it's a continuation when I shared last week. There's a lot of people who think that in order for this friend of mine or whoever it is that, you know, that doesn't believe in the Lord, and then you want them to come meet Christ, in order for them to happen, it's like, I, I have to be really good at this. <laughs> I have to get it just right, and I have to have a really good life. Otherwise, I'm going to be a bad witness. All these other things that these attitudes and ideas that we have but actually, the, the teaching of Scripture, the real truth is it's actually really quite the opposite. Isn't that strange? Actually, what we must share with them is our weakness. It's our frailty. We must share with them vulnerability. 
we must share with them, we have to have a transparent enough life that we're not only showing them, I've got it all together and I'm a good person and I never make mistakes and if, I have, if you get Jesus, you can be like me because I never make mistakes. Is that going to win people? Somehow we have it in our minds that if I just know enough Bible and I do this Christian thing just right, then I could win people, but actually that's not true at all. It's actually quite the opposite. And I'm not saying you, we have to be this person that's all falling apart or like sinning because sinning doesn't win people or being just a person that's falling apart, but being you know, just a, a normal person with depths, including frailty. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Right? Actually, it's willingness to share that. That's actually one of the most powerful and most important pathways um, to really shine the good news effectively. So in three parts, part one, weakness, trembling, the Holy Spirit and power. Weakness and trembling, because that's what Paul says in this passage. I came with weakness and trembling, yet with a demonstration of the Spirit and power. What is that? I'm going to talk about that. Weakness and trembling, Spirit and power. Part two, overcoming the offense of Christianity. So I'm just going to go directly into it. I'm not going to beat around the bush. There is an offense to what we believe, and that's part of what makes us nervous, too. We know that. We don't want to offend people. I mean, who wants to, who wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to offend my coworker? <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, this person is one of my friends. I think I'm just going to offend them. <laughs> that, that's, who wakes up in the morning to do that? And we're all, we're, we, well, well, hopefully all of us, or most of us anyway, are concerned about that, and rightfully so. And I'm not going to beat around the bush. I'm just going to talk directly, talk a little bit about offense. And, um, and then part three, the beauty. The beauty of vulnerable, authentic humanity. That's, in, in one, that's really the vehicle. The vehicle is actually your humanity. Um, not your performance. Your humanity, not your performance. Okay. Um, part one, weakness, trembling, spirit, and power. Um, to start off, I'm going to um, read a, a little portion out of this wonderful book um, written by Rebecca Manley Pippert, Becky Pippert. Um, and I don't know if, if any of you have ever heard of her. She wrote this terrific book. It's a little bit of an older book called Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World. <laughs> Evangelism as a Way of Life. It's a terrific book, right? Um, and this is what we'd like you know, you'd have evangelism, not as a project, but really as, 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 a, as a lifestyle where you really regularly want Christ to shine off you and to share of him to all those people around us, you know, around you. And um, what's really interesting is that, so just a quick background on Becky Pippert. Becky Pippert um, is, is uh, she, she is a leader. I don't know if she still does this. She's, she's probably fairly old now, but... Um, well, Becky Pippert, she, she was a leader in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And for those of you who may not know, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, it's an important Christian ministry that seeks to share the gospel on college campuses. Um, but of course, you know, she's talking about college campuses, but of course, it's relevant to every arena. And, um, and she wrote a book on evangelism, and she's one of the most effective evangelists and teachers on evangelism. But what's really interesting, at the very beginning of the book, she basically admits that she was scared to death to do it. She became a Christian. She knows, as a Christian, I should share about Jesus. I'm scared to death to do it. And she had all the misconceptions that pretty much everybody has. You know, we, 
You have to be a really good Christian. You have to know everything. You have, it's like, you, you, they don't want to know. I don't want to do it. <laughs> I'm going to offend them. She had all these fears, and she talks about them. And, um, and so here's what she says. So she tells a story about um, an atheist friend of hers who, who became a Christian, who converted to Christianity. And, and on the night that her friend, she calls her Stephanie, um, became a Christian, she said something to her which really helped her ch- to begin to overcome her fears and really changed her whole approach and just changed and just really changed her. So here, here's the way she put it. I will, um, Stephanie told me the night she became a Christian something that startled me. And here's what she says. Here's what Stephanie said. At first, I thought, fine, let Becky have her religion. That's her bag. I'm not the least bit interested. But if that's her thing, then it's all right with me. It's just her thing. But then you invited me to dinner. And before we ate, you asked if we could thank God for the food. I thought, oh, how quaint. She's going to pray for the food. Mm. Only you didn't. Just thank God for the food. You thanked him for me and our friendship. It made me feel so good inside. I never thought you felt our friendship friendship had anything to do with God. But then I thought, well, that's ridiculous. She's thanking someone who doesn't even really exist. Remember, she's an atheist. (laughs) Then we went to the Bergman film. Um, I'm not sure which Bergman that is. Ingrid Bergman? (laughs) All right. We went to the Bergman film, and afterward, uh, you said you'd studied the very same concept that was in the film in the Bible that day. I never dreamed God would have anything remotely in common with modern cinema. this, This is really how people who don't believe in Jesus think. I mean, this is one example This is probably, this was written back in 1979, but it could be said today. It really could be said by just one of your friends today. Another day you invited me to an objective, no strings attached study of the person of Jesus in the Bible. So, you know, there's no obligation here. Fine. The only trouble was I really liked the guy. (laughs) He seemed so real as we would read about him each week. But you know what affected me most? All my life I used to think how arrogant for someone to call himself a Christian to think he's that good. But then I got to know you, and Becky, you are far from perfect. Yet you call yourself a Christian. Hmm. So my first shock was to discover you blow it like I do. But the biggest shock was that you admitted it when I couldn't. Suddenly I saw that being a Christian didn't mean never failing, but admitting that you failed. I wanted to keep Christ in a box and let you be religious during your Bible study, but the more you let me inside your life, the more impossible it became to keep the lid on Christianity. Even your admission of weakness drove me 
to Jesus. Hear that? This is, this is Becky Pippert. That confession changed my life. What astonished me was that she had seen me in all kinds of circumstances. She had seen the real me, <laughs> her real, actual, authentic humanity, right? And it gave the gospel more power, not less. Do you hear that? She'd seen her authentic humanity, and the gospel became more powerful, not less powerful. I had always thought I should cover up my doubts and problems because if she knew she knew me, well, she wouldn't become a Christian. <laughs> if she really knew how, like, kind of like how kind of messed up I could be, well, how would she become a Christian? That's what she thought. But the more open and transparent I was, even with my weaknesses, the more real Jesus became to her. Do you hear that? It, I, I, I want you to remember, of course, the rest of my sermon. But if you remember this story and you take this lesson away, then then, then sermon was accomplished. <laughs> okay? All right. Um, let, 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 let's get into the passage. Many of us, you know, when we think, we have this idea, and, you know, we see people that we admire as Christians, and they really seem so strong on the outside. I mean, maybe that's how you see me or Pastor Young. There's are strong Christians. I mean, um, I mean, just, just, just quickly, this past week, um, you know, not that little, to, so I'll practice what I'm, I'm preaching. Um, this, this past Friday, you know, this is just being a human being. We had a really hard thing happen to us, which was um, that a car hit my youngest daughter, Elizabeth, while she was riding her bike home from school. That happened. Um, now, now, don't be too alarmed. Um, I think she's okay, right? But essentially, she was a split second from dying or at least being severely injured. So far, we took her to the hospital. So far, uh, so far, um, she, you know, she's not showing any signs of, like, serious. She has, she's got a bunch of scrapes. Her bike is <laughs> kind of twisted up. Um, and, and... She, you know, she's got kind of a bruise on her face, and so if you see her today, you'll see that her face looks a little off, right? And, um, but, you know, if you talk to her, I don't see any sign of concussion or head injury or no, there was no, didn't seem to be any broken bones. And so, you know, Friday was a really strange day. On, on the one hand, my wife and I felt super-duper relief. <laughs> but... Uh, Everybody, it happened at, a, at an intersection on Johnson and a little street called Castagna, which is near our house, near uh, Miller Middle School. Um, and as she was riding home, she was making a left turn. And that street can get a little busy. And it's one of the little dangerous spots that I, I'm always kind of concerned about. So this is like, at the beginning of the year, I get worried that my daughter could get killed at this intersection. And it almost happened on Friday. It was, it was crazy. But um, as the, the, you know, the police came, told the story, and... Um, the, the cars had stopped for her. And then she, she really did everything right. I was so proud of her listening to her story. She did everything right. She stopped. She, you know, every, she did everything right. But a person was, was on, on coming this way, you know, going this way. You know, she needs to make this left turn. Coming this way, this person was stopped, and the person behind her got impatient, swerved around, went into the bike lane, because there's only one lane there, went into the bike lane, 
and then nearly killed my daughter. And then to make it worse, she, she came out and checked on her, and then she left. And it, the, except for the fact that there was a witness there, it would have been a hit and run. <laughs> there was a witness there and said, you, you're not supposed to leave. Can I get a picture of your license and license plate? And if it weren't for that witness, it probably would have been a felony crime. And we were there, you know, like later, the witness called my wife. I, I mean, that, that, that's like, lady is probably an angel sent from, from God. Huh. Called my wife, and then later on my wife called me, and we were there, and then the police were there, all this stuff. And, um, and on the one hand, I was, had super duper relief. And then on the other hand, for the rest of the day, th- this lady, you know, left, and she didn't even come back. She didn't come back. The cops had to go to her house later on. I didn't meet her. But for the rest of the day, I I just had furious, livid anger at this person. And um, it was even hard for me to just be thankful that my daughter wasn't dead because mostly I was livid. I was just furious at this person. And this is life. I, I went to bed on Friday night praying, Lord, I, I, I don't know what to do with this anger. It's just welling up inside of me. And um, I don't know, the Lord must have done, heard me because Saturday morning it was, like, it was just like a new day. <laughs> and yesterday, <laughs> it was like the anger was gone. Um, I had all this like complicated stuff to think about with insurance and so forth, but Mostly, it was like God gave me back my daughter. <laughs> this is life. This is like a problem. And I'm just, I'm not trying to boast. I'm just like, this happened. And it was super hard. <laughs> and it was hard in a way I wouldn't have even imagined. It was hard because of like this hatred started welling up inside of me. I mean, racism, because this person was of a certain race. All these preconceptions and like, like I know are wrong. I mean, it's just welling up inside of me. This is who we are. And I'm a professional Christian. <laughs> um, if you think this is a pastor's son giving you advice or Becky Pippert giving you advice, this is in the scripture. Paul, when we think of Paul, Paul is a superhero. Paul is a guy who can get whipped and stoned for Jesus. He can sing in, in a jail. He can be shipwrecked and nothing stops him from his mission of sharing the gospel and planting churches, right? And so when we think of Paul, he's like, he's like a superhero. There's like Superman and Batman and Paul, except Paul is better because he does it for Jesus, right? That's how we think of Paul. But listen to what he actually says. This is what he says. Um, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So that's really what I cared about. I wanted to know that Jesus was in the midst of you and the power of his crucifixion. But then listen to this, which most, almost everybody ignores this. Okay, Bible pass. I mean, great biblical scholars, they don't pay attention to this verse, but this is what he says. He actually said this. I was with you in weakness and in fear 
and much trembling. I have read this verse so many times in my life because I can't get it out of my head that Paul was afraid. <laughs> it's like, he's afraid, but, but he's Superman. <laughs> but no, he's afraid. He says it. He's not a liar. And he wasn't kind of afraid. I, I had trembling. <coughs> um, and he has a lot of reasons. I mean, it's an, if you think the gospel is offensive today, back then it was, it was so considered so stupid. Your life could be at stake for sharing this message. People could be so offended, they might want to try to throw you in jail, and it happened to him. So he has really good reason for trembling. And he says this, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible wisdom, uh, words of wisdom. Not plausible words of wisdom. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, I wasn't trying to say all the right things. I wasn't trying to convince you. I didn't need to try to like be so smart and have it all together and perform the exact right kind of Christianity and convince you with my words. Do you understand? That is, that's, that's rings true to 2,000 years later today. God put that in the Bible to tell us, you think Paul was a superman, but actually he's just a normal man, like you and me. And if you want to really live and see the power of the gospel... Do it with weakness. And don't be so worried about your words and plausible words of wisdom. You do not have to have all your biblical knowledge down and you're going to do this evangelism thing just perfectly on this other person. Get, just get rid of that idea. <laughs> it's okay. In fact, it's good with weakness. And then he says, but what he had was this. I had, instead, I had a demonstration of the spirit and of power. I'm like, wait a second. Paul can have spirit and power, but I can't because, you know, he's, you know, remember, he's Superman and I'm just like, you know, down here. <laughs> I want to teach you something today that's, that's super important, and I hope you can remember this. Um, I'm going to teach you how to have a demonstration of the spirit and power. I'm going to teach you this right now, okay? But it starts with weakness. It starts with weakness. You know why? Because the gospel starts with weakness. <laughs> the gospel is that you're weak and you are not a good person and you'll never make it to heaven on your own, which is why you needed a savior. <laughs> That's the gospel. You know what? First, you believe that. And then you show that. And as soon as you're willing to show that, you're demonstrating the Holy Spirit, the power of the Spirit. Isn't that incredible? Interesting? Not how smart you are, how well you perform. But do you believe what the gospel teaches and then show that you show this? So, let me tell you how to, how, how to have a demonstration of the spirit and of power. The power is the easy part. You know why? I told you last week, and I told you in the Bible, Romans 1, 16 and 17. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So if you're willing to share the gospel, the gospel is the power. <laughs> the gospel itself is the power. 
So that's the easy part. If you, you're like, I, I want to share with them about Jesus. Okay, that's the power. <laughs> okay? I want them to meet Jesus, and I'm going to tell them about Jesus. That's the power of God. I, told, I, I challenged you last week to believe that. So now, so you can, I don't know power. Okay, you already got power. If you have the gospel, you have power. Okay? How do you have the Holy Spirit? <laughs> okay. Here's how you have the Holy Spirit. You do it with faith, hope, and love. This is from 1 Corinthians 13. Faith, hope, and love. You're like, well, that seems really hard because I'm not very good at faith or hope or love. Okay, actually, you are. How do you have faith, hope, and love? First, you believe in the gospel. <laughs> you believe in the gospel, which is exactly what I just told you. I'm frail and I'm weak. That's who I am as a human being. And that's why I needed a Savior. Not because I was good, but because Jesus, by grace, loved me, even though I was bad. <laughs> you believe that. Just because you believe that, and now you're willing to like, activate that belief by sharing your frailty with your friend, now the Holy Spirit's with you. You know what the hope is? You must have hope that what the Lord did for you, he'll do for your friend. <laughs> he'll do for your friend. You have hope that Jesus can change your friend, what your friend could become if he had Jesus. Just have hope in that. Now you have the Holy Spirit. <laughs> the Holy Spirit will now, you're with the, the Holy Spirit's with you. And now, you know what? The third one is, is love them. <laughs> love them enough to share your frailty it's actually kind of scary to just be vulnerable in front of somebody and let them see all your, your junk, right? What if they say, well, you're, you're kind of a stupid person. You're like, well, that's kind of hard. Well, actually, it's true. <laughs> I'm stupid in that way. Like, I didn't want to admit to you that I'm, like, like basically I spent yesterday, half of yesterday, with racism and furious anger inside my heart. <laughs> More furious anger and racism than relief and thanksgiving. It was like this much relief and thanksgiving and, and, and this much racism and furious anger. And I knew I couldn't do it. I could not fix it. But I believe the gospel. <laughs> so I went to bed with prayer. I said, I, I, I can't change this. Help, help me, help me. Thankfully, the Lord helped me soon. He helped me by the time I woke up. But that's who we are. <laughs> so are you willing to do this <laughs> to somebody else? Show, show, which is, show them your full, authentic, weak self with faith in the gospel, hope for them, and just love them genuinely. Not just good intentions and not love them with like just feelings, but lo lo love them enough to give them actions to bless them. Then you have the spirit. I, 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 that's the spirit. I do not know how, the, the, that, the spirit will be with you. The spirit will be in that. You know, the spirit and power and oddly, in and through all the weakness and trembling. So you want to know how Paul was so effective? It actually says in other places, there's actually another place where Peter says that the words that Paul says is confusing. It's, really, it's actually in the Bible. The words he says are kind of confusing. So apparently he was kind of confusing. And if you read him, he is confusing. It wasn't because he was such a super slick preacher. 
This is, this is how Paul did it. With weakness and fear and trembling, yet with faith, hope, and love, with the Spirit and with the Gospel. Okay? Let's go to part two. Overcoming the offense of Christianity. Um, did, you, did you notice what, what one of the things that... Um, so there's two things that I, I particularly want to talk about, about offense. And um, one is there is offense kind of in a, in a reasonable way, and then there's offense in, in a kind of ignorant way, all right? <laughs> we all can just feel this, but like I, I want to sort of kind of like break it down a bit, deconstruct the, the offense a bit. We know that people get offended at the message of the cross, and we know that they find Christianity generally like, yeah, I'm not interested in that. Or that's religion. I'm not interested in that. Okay, um, and of course in America, the the, the most, you know, the, the most pervasive faith is Christianity, at least in terms of you know historic uh, religious faiths. But um, do you notice what this woman Stephanie said? She says, um, "What shocked me was that um, you would admit you were wrong." That is how a lot of people think of Christians. This is really interesting. A lot of people think that Christians think that we have, we are, because most people see Christian, um, all religions as a series of do's and don'ts. They see it as rights and wrongs and do's and don'ts. They see it as law, essentially. And because of that, they see Christianity that way too. Christianity is just another set of do's and don'ts, and you, except you guys actually think that you're the only ones going to go to heaven. <laughs> And everybody else is, isn't going to make it. Therefore, you must be the most arrogant people on, in the world. In other words, the reason they think that we're, we're so stupid and why Christianity is so arrogant is because we say this is the only pathway to heaven, and, but they think it's all about legalism. <laughs> and so one of the ways you disarm and overcome that is by sharing your frailty. See that interesting? Christianity is salvation by grace to weak sinners. So don't, go, don't lead with, hey, you're a drunk. Stop being a drunk. That's why you're not a Christian. They're like, then they're going to just think, well, you know, like if you're a Christian, you're not supposed to be in an out-of-control drunk. That's true. But that's not this core teaching of Christianity. That's the law. Actually, you don't even need to be a Christian to know that. I mean, even secular people know that you shouldn't be an out-of-control drunk. And all the other religions teach that too. But what's special to Christianity is God saves weak, failing sinners, of which I am one. <laughs> share that. If you share that, now you're sharing about real Christianity. The problem is, most people haven't even, they don't even know what real Christianity is. They have this idea of Christianity, which is legalism. And so as long as you lead with this idea, like, I've got to try to do everything just right, and I have performance anxiety, guess what? If you actually have performance anxiety, you're actually not practicing real Christianity. You're actually practicing legalism. Isn't that weird? You're actually practicing a kind of Phariseeism, which everybody hates, so if you, I've got to do everything right, and I'm going to perform this religion on you. They're, don't, they're not going to like it. You're not going to like it. They're going to be offended, and you don't want to offend them, so let's not do that. <laughs> so that's the first piece of offense. They're offended because they think Christianity is legalism. One of the first things super helpful is you should let them know that's not Christianity. At the core of Christianity, that's not Christianity. 
It's actually salvation by grace for really broken people, and I'm one of them. <laughs> but let me tell you a second aspect of it, too. This part is a little bit more reasonable. The gospel has a hard part to it. It's good news. And this is a part that, this is the mysterious part. Whenever you're going to share the gospel with somebody, you have no idea if they're willing to hear this part, which is, you're a sinner, and you're such a bad sinner, you ain't going to make it. You can't fix yourself. There's no way. That's quite frankly why you're not going to make it to heaven. You know, that, that bad word, the, the word that nobody wants to hear, hell. But actually, they're already making a hell for themselves. <laughs> they're already kind of building their own hell. They, you know, like they think it's a heaven, but they're actually building hell. That's an irony. It's a really sad irony. If you don't have Jesus, everybody's building their own heaven, but it's really building their own hell. But if you tell them they're a sinner, that's not, they, don't, they don't want to hear that part. People like trying to build their own heaven, but so you don't know that they're trying to build their hell in heaven, and they think, this is good for me, this is good for me. But some of them, you don't know on the outside, because they won't tell you this. They look like they're all decent people. But sometimes if you tell them they're a sinner and there's another way, and somebody could love them and they're hurt, they'll go, really? Because this isn't working for me. <laughs> really? You don't know that. You have no idea. We all think, that person looks like they're all put together. If I tell them about this thing, they just won't like it because we just assume they will like it. But actually, some people really won't like it. <laughs> but some people, you may be shocked to be saying, really, tell me more about that. You don't know. That's, most people don't want their little false heaven kind of like challenged. And they don't want to be told this message that they're a sinner, and they're such a bad sinner, they ain't going to make it. Some people they think, I'm a sinner, but it's, it's a really manageable little problem. It's like a common cold. I'll get over it. <laughs> but it's like, actually, it's really more like terminal cancer, and there's no cure. <laughs> there's no way you're going to get over it. <laughs> and you know, all the drinking and the money and all the other things that you do, the ice cream that you eat at night to make yourself feel better, you know, like, you know, there, there, there's, like there's the, the bad addictions, drugs, but then there's like, you know, the respectable addictions, like Haagen-Dazs, you know, you know that, that's me, right? <laughs> Those are respectable addictions, right? But, you know, that, that's just, you know, that's like a little bit of chemotherapy, but you still gonna, you ain't gonna make it. People don't want to hear that. So, that's true. <laughs> they don't want to hear that. But even still, you know how you help disarm the offense? whether it's the, 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 the offense out of ignorance or it's the offense that's a little more reasonable, at least reasonable to the sinner, <laughs> right? Is to approach them with honesty and humility, transparency, and care enough about them to risk being vulnerable in front of them and letting them know you don't have it all together either. If you're sharing that, maybe you'll get an a reaction like Stephanie. Or at the very least, they'll say, I'll, I'll check out church with you. Huh. huh? If they're more like you, or are people at church like you? If they're more like you, I wouldn't mind being around people like that. And I'll at least listen. I'll at least listen. And then they can hear the gospel. And now all bets are off. <laughs> all right? Now it's like God time. 
<laughs> you did your, your, your part. Now it's God time. <laughs> and then and God shows up. And sometimes, you know, they, like there's some people fighting and resisting him. So this is how we overcome. This is, I'm giving you one of the most powerful ways we overcome. It's actually we overcome the offense with faith, hope, and love. <laughs> That's how we do it. And we overcome the offense with faith enough and love enough and hope enough. I'm frail like you. <laughs> Let me close my message. The beauty of grace through vulnerable, authentic humanity. I'm going to give you, I don't usually do this, but I'm going to give you some four tips. And they're not even mine. Um, there, there's a nice little article by Pastor Timothy Keller of Redeemer Presbyterian. You guys know that like he, he, he's somebody that I consider a mentor, even though I never met him. <laughs> I once asked him a question at a conference. That's the closest I got to actually meeting Tim Keller, okay? Um, but um, he, he, he's somebody I respect. And he gave 10 points, 10 little tips, and they're all, they're all very doable on how you could practice evangelism. But mostly, most of us, you know, think, you know, he goes, like, tip number nine and ten are like, offer to read the Bible with them. Oh, that's one. Okay, but that's number nine. And he says, usually that's what we think. This is evangelism. Or, you know, take them to an Explore Christianity course. Or, how about number eight? Invite them to a church event. We're like, okay, that's evangelism. That's all evangelistic. It's all evangelism. But mostly when we're thinking evangelism, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> that's evangelism. Oh, that's kind of scary. That's hard. No, those, are, those are challenging. Okay, that's not what I'm going to tell you to do today. As, as, the, as, this, as this course, I mean, as, as this as series progresses, we do want to challenge you to invite someone to church, or maybe and we want like to have an Explore the Gospel class early next year. We want to um, challenge you to invite people to that. But today, I want to give you the first four. Listen to what, listen to what the first four are. Number one, let people around you know you're a Christian. <laughs> In a natural, unforced way. Okay? You're not trying to do anything to... Like, Becky just said, is it okay if I pray for the meal while we're eating together? That's... Most people know you're a Christian as soon as you pray at a meal. So many today, like... Or how about, even if you don't pray with them, how about when you eat a meal at work or at, at McDonald's, you pray. That's like letting the world know you believe in Jesus. Most people will probably know you're a Christian. Um, number two, ask friends about their faith and just listen. <laughs> You're, the, the, the goal is not to tell them about your faith. How about just ask them about what they believe and just listen to them. Just, just get to know them as a human being and care about what they believe first. That's odd. That's strange to think of that piece of evangelism, but I think it's true. You know what's a really normal, natural thing? If you ask them about what they believe, if they like you, <laughs> they'll ask you about what you believe. And now you're not trying to do anything to them. You're just saying, I'm trying to get to know you. And then they're trying to get to know you. And now you just can just be friends and you can share about what you believe. Not because you're trying to do anything to them, but just because you're trying to build a friendship, start a friendship, deepen a friendship. So number one, let people around you know you're a Christian in a natural, unforced way. Number two, Ask your friend about their faith and just listen. Number three, listen to your friend's problems and maybe offer to pray for them. 
Doesn't everybody want somebody to listen to their problems? Just be a good listener. And then occasionally, can I pray for you? Can I just, just pray for that problem? Really care about that problem. And here's number four, and this one is just like absolutely dovetails with what I'm trying to teach you today, and it dovetails with you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Becky Pippert, first, you know, share your problems with them. And then maybe you can also share inside maybe how your faith helps you with your problems. Share your problems with them. And I wasn't actually thinking about, I mean, I, I, I didn't want my daughter to get hit by a car. <laughs> but I guess the Lord thought that would be a good way that I can remember that I'm, I'm pretty sinful inside. And so maybe I can ask you. Just practice a little bit. I share with you one of my problems. And um, would you please continuously pray for me and, of course, certainly pray for my daughter, pray for her healing. Pray that, um, you know, my wife and I could be forgiving. And um, that there's all these little processes that can constantly remind us of this, you know, all these insurance things, all these, all these crazy, like it's like we can't even just move on with our life, but that the Lord will just well deep the grace into our hearts. That's how I'll ask you. Would you pray for me? Um, let me close with a story. This is what the gospel's like. Jesus came to intercede for hurting people. And, you know, you, you look up at them. It's always our habit to look at people on the outside. And you look at them on the outside and you just think, they can't change, they won't change, they won't come to Jesus. There's no way. <laughs> There's no way. But actually, the more you get to know people, the more you know their, their weakness and frailty. But when Jesus can get in there, it's odd. <laughs> and what's compelling about the gospel is not like, I'm a great buttoned-up Christian, and I never do anything wrong, and I always go to church, and I just completely know how to pray, and I know the Bible. That, that's boring. That's actually boring to people. <laughs> people aren't interested in that. But when they know that there is weakness and frailty, and yet Jesus has gone in there and a new, even in the midst of weakness and frailty, Jesus is doing something beautiful by grace. That's wonderful and compelling. Isn't it? Just to see it, to be around it. I mean, and I, and I do this for you all the time. I tell you stories about people that I meet that just blow me away. You know, I, I go to Bishop, and I meet this person. I'm like, well, this person was like, was a crystal meth addict. <laughs> and um, if you meet him now, it's like it's crazy to think that he was a crystal meth. And, you know, you could see his tots and stuff like that. Okay. But I'll, I'm going to close with a story. Um, the brothers went to, so, so some of you brothers who went, you'll, you've heard this before, but I thought it would be good to share it with sisters, all right? We heard um, several messages by certain famous pastors, and there's a pastor, um, well-known named Miles McPherson, he pastors this huge church in San Diego called the Rock Church. And Miles McPherson used to be an NFL player. And when he was in the NFL, he used to do cocaine and sleep with all these women and get drunk out of his mind. That's what he was like. Until he had this terrible coke, you know, high, you know, like whatever. And then, and then he gave his life to Jesus and the Lord, you know, profoundly changed him. And now he um, 
he rallies his people to go out and just love people doing things like this. Let them know you're a Christian. <laughs> Listen to their problems. Pray for them. You know, ask for help. Like, how, you know, can I help you? <laughs> I mean, simple ways like that. And then they start getting interested. And then, and then they go, well, I, I'm a Christian. And I go to this church. And then they come to church. And then they get saved. <laughs> people whose like, lives are chaotic and all this stuff. And so they have all these interesting ministries where they help people just by being vulnerable people who go meet other vulnerable people. Practicing faith, hope, and love. That's really, just, that's really what Miles McPherson's church does. And, then, um, and so he told this story, <laughs> and it's just so wonderful. He's at church, and um, you know, he, he's the man at church, right, because he's the lead pastor. And he's walking down the hallway, and this really big mountain of a guy shows up and bumps into him, and he looks up at him, and, um, and the guy has all these tats all over him, and he's like, like whoa. He's, and and uh, Miles McPherson is a big guy. I mean, he's used to be an NFL footballer. He's like, whoa. He's kind of intimidated looking at him. Um, but uh, this guy used to be in a biker gang <laughs> and had gone to prison. And he says, uh, uh, Pastor Miles, I'm, I'm kind of nervous because I'm going to my first ministry meeting. I volunteered for this ministry, and I'm nervous about going because I never did, did anything like this before. And he says, oh, really? So what, what, what ministry did you volunteer for? I volunteered for the, the knitting ministry. <laughs> so, oh, oh, really? <laughs> you, know, you know, Miles was like, first he's like <laughs> intimidated at what the guy looks like, and then he's just like thinking, uh, okay, really? He's like, well, where did you learn to knit? He's like, in prison. So remember, this is a humongous church. He doesn't know this guy, even though he's in the same church. And he, in the first conversation, the guy tells him, well, I, I in prison. <laughs> and I learned to knit in prison because it helped make me calm. And now I like, I really like knitting. And so I want to go to the knitting ministry and like we knit, they, they knit little pieces of clothes for uh, babies of single mothers. Isn't that wonderful? And um, Miles McPherson turned around to the, he, he, he had this little sigh. He looked to the audience. He says, you couldn't make that up. <laughs> you can't even make that up. That is so, what? <laughs> Why? Because that's the power of the gospel. <laughs> and he says, like, after he met him, they're like, you know, there's another Sunday, they were worshiping and they're worshiping Jesus. So the guy came up to him and found him in, the, in worship. He came up to him and he put his arms around him and says, he said, he leaned over to him while they were worshiping. He says, Pastor, he's like, what's your favorite color? I'm going to knit you something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't wait for, for the day that an ex-con wants to knit me something. <laughs> and maybe it'll happen. And maybe it'll happen because you meet somebody, and on the outside, they don't, you, you think they'll be offended. They will, there's no way they're going to be interested in Jesus. Somebody told this guy about Jesus, and maybe it was in prison. So you see, you think the guy in prison was like super Christian? <laughs> Probably the guy in prison was like, I'm nervous about telling you about Jesus because you're, 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 you look like a violent criminal, and maybe you'll hit me if I tell you about God. But with weakness and trembling, he practiced faith, hope, and love. And now you got this guy who knits clothes for um, babies of single mothers. That's the power of the gospel. And maybe if, 
you and I will begin to do this, we'll see that kind of beauty right here, <laughs> right here in San Jose. Let's pray and go to the table of the Lord. <clears throat> We're going to go to your table, Lord Jesus, and we thank you that this is a table, a meal of grace for sinners. And before we go out there thinking, I have to become this advanced Christian and try to be, Lord, Lord, help us to just forgive us of believing in these lies. And we pray that we would trust in the power of your spirit, that you will pour out your spirit on us if we have faith in the gospel and approach others with faith in the gospel, hope that what you can do for them, and just love them the way you love them the way you have loved us. As we come to your table now, help us to repent. Repent of all our performance and all the fear that is born of me and performance, and it's got to be on me, really, which is help us to repent of all our Phariseeism and our legalism and believe more deeply in the gospel and trust that you will pour out your spirit on us if we will come to you. And then we will go to our friends and our neighbors, even with some fear and trembling, but with faith. Faith in what you might do in them out of hope. And because we love them so much, we can't help. We, we've got to, we want to. And we pray that there would be former atheists like Stephanie and knitting former ex-cons in our church because we believe this must be shared. And there are people all in our life that we don't know it yet. They're, they're, they're just, they're building their own little hells and they're starting to realize these, this little heaven that they're trying to build is not heaven and it's more like hell. And I pray that you would take us to them and when we offer them our transparency and our vulnerability with you, you will draw them to yourself and change them forever. <laughs> Lord, there's so many people that we love in our lives and help us to love them more. And as we come to your table, Lord, help us to repent and believe in you more. In Jesus' name.